Thank you, worship team. In a minute, I'll read our scripture, but I just feel compelled to say, I love the aspect of the church that we see here of the youngest to those of the, all generations taking part. Do you realize how, how that doesn't happen in most of our culture? How our culture separates out by age groups and everything's, you know, by generations and there's almost been generational battles. But here as the people of God, from the youngest to the oldest, we are included. That's one way in which maybe we can point to the world a different way to do things. So thank you for being a part of East Glenville Church. Thank you for participating in worship, whether you're here this morning, whether you're online. Thank you for being a part of this body of, of, of believers who, who together are, are following Jesus and learning how to follow him together. Now let's turn to his word. My, our passage, really, it's two short verses or passages this morning, but I'm going to cover some, a lot of territory. If you have the blue thing, the blue sheet, the, there's some reference verses that might be helpful, or if you just want to follow along in your Bible. But, but our main passage begins in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then just one verse from the final chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 3. And this is God's vision of the end. It says, no longer will there be any curse or anything accursed The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. This is the word of God for his people today. Amen. So, yesterday, or last Sunday, I had a a movie from the 80s. Today, I want to pick out something maybe that will fit for, let's say, parents of younger children. And mine have kind of moved out of this age. But here's the question I want to throw out. How many Disney cartoons can you name that have a curse that needs to be broken? I want to see how big the list can get because there are, uh, I've noticed a tendency of Disney, they kind of go to the the curse well a lot. So anyone out there? Beauty and the Beast, that's a biggie. The Little Mermaid. I heard Frozen. I heard Sleeping Beauty, one of the older ones, yeah, where Prince... Uh, Prince Charming and True Love's Kiss. Snow White. I think that's the oldest of them. Yeah. Cinderella? No, no curse. Just pumpkins. Yeah. Few more. Pinocchio? Maybe not. Maybe. What? The The stone and the sword. That's an obscure one. How about the princess and the frog? That's a pretty big part of it. Or the little mermaid. Yeah. Um, another big one, brave for those who. So anyways, I, I bet we can keep going. There, there's, there's quite a few where there's a curse that needs to somehow be broken in the story. Well, today, the, the question we're asking in this whole series is, 
why, of why Christmas matters is we're saying, what did Jesus come to do? Well, today I would suggest that Jesus came to break the curse of sin upon humanity. That his coming was to undo the work of this curse that had come upon us. When we look out upon the world, we can tell something is not right. This world does not work as it should be. Even the, the pandemic being a great example of, of there's, there's pain and suffering and death has become a part of things. There's brokenness in creation with disease. There's brokenness inside of us with, with depression and suicide. There's all these signs that there's something wrong with this world that we live in. But if God created the world, how can this be? Did God mess up? Or could it be that it was made right, but a curse has come upon it? Something that broke this world. I want to consider Adam and Eve and the first two people as, as they were created in Genesis 2 and, and Genesis 2 and then into Genesis 3. At first, everything was right for them. They lived in a perfect environment. They were in harmony with it. And in Genesis 3, we see what happened. A curse has come upon this world through what they did. And what did they do? Adam and Eve chose to listen to God's enemy rather than to listen to what God had said. God had put them in the environment of Eden. They had all their needs met. They had, they had food and, and they had access to the tree of life by which they could have had life everlasting. There's one thing God said, do not eat from this particular tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God's enemy came in the form of a serpent and said, you don't need to listen to God. God's holding out on you. You can eat from that tree. You will not surely die. And so they listened to God's enemy and they did what God said not to do. And as soon as they did it, it happened. There was a fundamental change in the nature of the world. Oh, let me read in verse, so this is Genesis 3, 6. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So note, both Adam and Eve participated in this fall. It wasn't just Eve. It was both of them together made the decision to go against what God said. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Immediately they tried to hide from God. Rather than feeling at peace with themselves and with God, all of a sudden they could tell in their inner being something was now wrong. And they were afraid to face God. God seeks them out and begins to, to prepare them for living in a world that is broken. And so God speaks words describing to them what it now will mean now that this curse has come upon creation. First, God speaks to the serpent. And he says to the serpent, and the serpent is, again, God's enemy in disguise. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. So the first part 
is that, that there will now be enmity between the people of God and God's enemy. Another way of saying that is we have an enemy in the spiritual realms. We have one who's working against us. One who wants to use lies and deceit to turn us away from God. Satan doesn't care if we, he doesn't want to kill us or even take away our stuff. He wants to take us out of God's hands. That is his purpose in this world. Not to make us miserable, but to to keep us from turning in faith to the Lord. And he tries to blind us to the truth. So we have an enemy in the spiritual realms. But a part of this, it declares definitively that enemy will be defeated. God goes on to say, he shall bruise. He is the off, he being the offspring of the woman. A future offspring will deal with this threat to humanity. It says he will bruise the serpent's head even as he is wounded himself. So God has a plan to deal with the enemy, to deal with the curse that has come even though there will be a cost with that, that solution. But at this point, it's vague. It's, it's, God does not outline it in detail. He then goes on to tell both Adam and Eve what it will mean for humanity to live in this world. So first he speaks to Eve. And he gives three things it will mean for Eve to face this um, that it will mean for both Adam and Eve. So he says three things to Eve, but note for what he says to both apply to both. It's just one will feel it more strongly in a certain area. So the first consequence for Eve, for women, will be biological dysfunction. He says you will have pain in childbearing. This is not just God picking on the women, but from now on, our bodies will not work as they were made to work. And Eve could do something Adam could not. Eve could grow a, a human child within her body. I mean, you think about the incredible complexity of starting from one cell to growing to a, a human child capable of breathing and crying and talking and all the stuff that, that happens within the body of a woman. That will now not go work as way it's meant to work. They'll, it'll still happen, but now there'll be pain and even danger associated with that. So that's how the woman especially would experience the curse. A second component is discord. Discord between husband and wife, and really discord between men and women in general. It says to Eve... Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Your desire shall be contrary. See, if you go back to Genesis 1, Adam and Eve were made to work together to rule over creation. God gave to both the male and female the, the, the responsibility of caring for, of ruling over creation. They are to work in partnership with one another. Now, their desires will be contrary Instead of working together, there will be conflict and competition between the genders, between the sexes. And men and women won't naturally align as they should. There will be competition over who has power in the relationship between husband and wife. And then the third part of that, and he shall 
rule over you. Oppression. Man, men, will, man will use his greater physical strength to rule over woman. It's not that God says for men to do that. In fact, it says for men, for husbands, not to rule over their wives, but to love them as Christ loved the church, being willing to even lay down your life for her good. But sinful men in a broken world will use their natural strength, greater physical strength and aggression. And, and God made men, in general, more physically strong and aggressive in order that they might protect and care for their family. As I arrived this morning, before I got here, there were some men out there, um, Bernie and Andre and Dan. What were they doing? They were salting the, the thing. They were trying to protect people so that as they came into church, it, it, you know, no one would slip and fall. Men are given this sense of protectiveness. It's part of how God designed us. But instead of using the strength for the right reasons, men would use it to put women down, to, to dominate over them. And we see that playing out in the very next chapter. In Genesis 4, if you want to look it up later, there's a guy named Lamech, a descendant from them. And Lamech gives a little speech to his wives. Note, it's supposed to be just one wife. He has two. He demands that two women will serve him. And uh, I must apologize because I, I won't do this well. But I cannot help but hear um, Lamech speak in Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice. And so here, here's his little speech. Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Like, can't you just picture Arnold saying that, like Conan? Um, but notice, notice what he's doing. First of all, he's saying he's killed people. He's using his strength and aggressiveness to, to dominate others. It, it, women would not be the only one that face oppression. So would men. But they would face it more severely at times. And, and so what is he doing? He's using fear and intimidation to tell his wives, do what I say or else. If he killed a man, what would he do to them if they cross him? So, that's life in a broken world. For Eve, he says, biological dysfunction, discord, and oppression. What does God say to Adam? What will he experience in this, this, this world that's now cursed with sin? The first thing he says is Adam will face a corrupted environment. Cursed is the ground. Because of you. In pain you shall eat of it the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. It will now be difficult to make a living. To support a family. Growing things will not work as easily as it did in the garden of Eden. Romans 8 describes it this way. It says, for creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Creation was made subject to the corruption of sin. And so even the land does not grow as it should. There's a parallelism, by the way, in this. So where Eve's labor is, is going to be painful and not work right, 
the, the where, where she grows a child within her, that won't work right. Where Adam is supposed to grow food to support his family, that's not going to work the way it should be. There's a parallelism in the way it, 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 it's laid out in Genesis 3. And then there's a, another component to this. Mortality. From dust you came, to dust you shall return. Life will have an end. In Eden, they had access to the tree of life. They could have lived endlessly with God. But now, with that access being barred, their death has become a reality to them and for them. And the, the thing is, God has set eternity in our hearts. There's something in us that longs to, 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 to keep going. The idea of an end. Doesn't every fairy tale, don't you really long to hear the words, and they lived happily ever after? That's in our fairy tales because that's in our heart. That's what we long to hear. And the thought that we could put all the work of what we, we do in this world, and it's not just that we will die, it's that everything we work for in this world will, will, will come to nothing when we're gone. And, you know, men especially, I know we want to build something, we want to make something that lasts but when we, we realize there's an end, we realize what we're doing is making sandcastles on and the beach, and the waves are going to come and wipe it away. Or all the time we spend building up relationships and getting to know people and loving and caring for them, and we realize that they will have an end, and that we see person after person we love and care for slip into death. It's not just that we will die, it's that, that knowing of death po- Back poisons everything else that we do in this life. Mortality. And again, they certainly didn't understand the fullness of that when God first announced it. But it would not take long for them to see it in action. What happens in Genesis 4? Really the first thing right after this announcement is that one of their sons, Cain, murders his brother Abel. And in that way, you can think of the curse being extended. God said to um, Cain at that point. My pages are out of order, sorry. He says, what have you, after God confronts Cain with after he killed his brother, he says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. The curse is extended. And the curse would continue down upon humanity from person to person ever since. So that none of us have escaped the, the effects of the curse. And it, it has gone on so long, it has become to, we come to see it as the normal lot in life. That's just how it is. What are you going to do about it? Now, we do try as human cultures and societies, we try to do things that would mitigate the curse, to make it less potent. We, we try to um, develop healthy communities and foster moral behavior to teach our kids what is right and wrong. We try to use education to teach people good from, from right. We, we try to set up good governing leaders and good government to limit the scope of what evil can accomplish. We try to use education, technology, um, all of that. But none of those things could get rid of the inherent corruption 
of this accursed world. We could only mitigate the damage a little bit. We needed one who would come into this world and break the curse. We needed one who could do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And as we sang, one who would be worthy to open the scroll. So, God sent the curse breaker. We, we find out what qualities are needed to break the curse. One is, as Galatians 4, 4 said, one who is born of a woman. He had to be one of us. Born into the laws of this world. But yet, one of us couldn't do it. He had to be more. So not only born of a woman, but born, um, or one who is God in our midst. In Isaiah 7, 14, God speaking of the birth of Jesus as the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which in Hebrew means God in our midst. So one who's both fully human and yet one who is also fully God. Moreover, it has to be one who's not under the curse himself. Jesus is the only person ever who, who never got trapped by sin, never um, did wrong, never walked in unrighteousness. And so he's the only one who never entered under the curse himself. He walked free of it. And lastly, it had to be one willing to bear the curse on behalf of all people. That is what Jesus came to do. He came to bear the curse on our behalf that he might take it away, that he might undo it. His life, his birth, his life, his death and resurrection brought another fundamental change to the universe. The curse has been broken by the one, the one God had sent, by Jesus. And now it had changed things fundamentally, the very core. Now, if you watch a Disney movie, and all of a sudden the curse is broken, think about what happens. It's like in Disney movies, the, the effects of the curse are magically undone immediately. It's like you just see the whole light, an array of sparkly things. Just take, take all the bad stuff away. This curse didn't work like that. The curse has been broken, but the effects of the curse had worked its way into every part of this world, including into our hearts. And so in order to undo the curse, to complete it, removing it from, from this world, there's more work to be done. So, so back to Galatians 4, back to our main text. It talks about what, ha what will it take to get rid of this curse. So again, when the fullness of time had come, God had, had been setting this plan from the very beginning. God sent forth a son, born of woman, born under law, so he would be able to deal with this curse. And, and verse 5 says, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So there are two parts to the clearing of the curse. Redemption and adoption. So what does redemption do? Redemption buys us out of the curse. To redeem something is to buy it back. So he paid the ransom price to buy us out from under the curse. And therefore, positionally, 
When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer under that curse. We are free from our, our sins, free from the guilt. That's why in Romans 8.1 it says, Therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We have been set free. We have been redeemed. That has already happened and is available for anyone here today. If you've never responded to Jesus, he is, is here in, in the, through the Spirit of God and can receive anyone who says, Lord Jesus, I, I've made a mess of my life. I'm willing to trust what I know of myself to what I know of you. I want to love you and follow you. I receive your forgiveness that you, you, you gave to me. Anyone who says that, anyone who affirms that Jesus is Lord, God receives them as a son or daughter. God incorporates them into his people. And God gives his spirit to guarantee their reception into eternal life. It's done. Positionally, we are then adopted into God's family. But the work is not yet done. We've been brought into a covenant relationship with God, but to, to complete it, we have to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. We have to become sons and daughters in, in a sense, in fact. I know when Disney shows the curse being undone, it shows it like from the top down. God's way of undoing the curse is to do it from the bottom up. And so we need the completion of adoption. It says in Romans 8, later on, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's what God is at work in and doing. The effects of the curse have gone deep into our inner being. And so what he does is he comes into our life. Through his Holy Spirit, he dwells within us. He lives in, in our hearts and begins to undo the curse from inside out into the world rather than from outside in. And so by his work in us, he does four things. And these aren't written anywhere. But he, he, first of all, he regenerates our spirit, giving new life to our inner being. He he. he he makes us alive in the Spirit. So we have a connection with God that we, we've never been able to experience before. Secondly, He renews our heart so that the emotions of our heart begin to echo that of our Father. The, the sin messed up how our emotions work. We get angry at the wrong things. We get angry at things that maybe bother us when we should be angry at things that bother God. We... we we are angry at things, but then we fail to have compassion or care for things we should have care for. As God is at work in our heart, it begins to change how we respond emotionally. We need his spirit to start to do that in us. The third thing is he repatterns our mind to free us from conformity to the pattern of this world. This world will shape our thinking and our minds and we can't help but get absorbed that as we take in all that we do from everything we read and see and all our friendships. We need the Spirit of God 
to begin to repattern our mind as we, especially as we take in the Word of God and, and read and hear it, it begins to, to change how we think so that our thoughts match that of what is true and good. And then the fourth thing is, is he needs to retrain our habits, our life habits. You know, so, so much of what we do, we do because we've always done it, and it's what our parents did. And we get into life habits, and, and to follow as a disciple, he's got to start to change how we respond and act in certain situations. Regenerates our spirit, renews our heart, repatterns our mind, retrains our life habits. That's what it means to follow Jesus and to begin to walk as his disciple. It's not even what we do, it's what he does in us by his spirit as we walk with him. Have you experienced the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus doing those things in your life? Have you seen him start to change things about yourself as you fall more in love with, with God? I want to leave with one last thought. The reason why I included that one more bit of scripture in our main, main thought is though this process sometimes is slow and, and the brokenness still exists within the world, we can know it will be done. It will happen. God, God tells, just like a Disney movie, you know it's going to work out in the end, right? Right? You know it's, it's going to all be good. It all, uh, God, God reassures us. He gives us the last couple chapters of Revelation to say, okay, here's what's going to happen at the end. And so Revelation 21 into 22, it says, it describes the eternal kingdom that, that we'll get to live in with God. And verse 22, verse 3, there will be no more curse. It will be taken away. It will be taken away from the world that we're living in. It will be taken away out of our hearts. He, what he started in us when we put our faith in Jesus, he will bring to completion. So friends, we can rejoice. We can rejoice because the curse is already broken. And we can rejoice because he's at work in us to undo it. And we can rejoice that one day it will be undone completely. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you did not leave us in the broken state that we are in, but that you loved us so much you sent your son to rescue us and to, to deal with that problem that has sown itself into our inner being. Lord, I thank you that you are gracious and good and loving because sometimes we fall so short. I thank you that even when we fail and fall flat on our face, you speak words of grace and love to us. And all we need to do is call out to you and you will begin to restore us once more. Thank you, Father, that you call us your sons and daughters. Amen.